Are you ready? Welcome to another episode of the Around the CFL podcast. Anthony here with you once again. And tonight we are joined by our special guest co-host and TSN CFL insider, Dave Naylor. Welcome back, Dave. Hey, my pleasure. How was Super Bowl? It was good. I mean, the game obviously was fantastic. Uh, One of the things I like about Vegas as a Super Bowl city is that, you know, everything is relatively uh, contained sort of in one area. I mean, Vegas geographically, it's a grand city, but it's not, you know, the strip and the stadium and the hotels are all kind of in a confined area. So that, Mm -hmm. you know, that made it easy to get around in. I mean, there was so much going on. And and I honestly, I have a bit of trouble you know, kind of telling the difference between Super Bowl Vegas and Vegas Vegas. Cause I'm, you know, I've only been to Vegas. That was my third time. The other two were both very, very quick. One, I went to the first CFL game there in 94. Uh, and then the other one, I went to interview Wayne Gretzky at the Bellagio on his 50th birthday or for his 50th birthday. So um, those were both kind of in out trips. This mm-hmm. one, I was there for nine days. So I got a much better feel for it. But I mean, it was just, the way I say the NFL is grandiose. They love to do everything big and grandiose, and so does Vegas. So if you can imagine what you know, grandiose wrapped in grandiose looks like, that's the Super Bowl in Vegas. I mean, there were, you know, the hotels obviously can accommodate all the parties. The bars are packed. You see tons of celebrities. The sidewalks are jammed. Uh, you know, caught up with Alex Singleton at the EA Sports Party. Saw Green Day. You know, there, which was great because we just seen him at the Great Cup halftime show. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, yeah, it was. And, and the teams were staying out of town, but not crazy distances out of town. That's normal. They, they try to put the teams outside of the main cities just so that they're not distracted and caught up in all the hoopla. But no, I, I would say overall, it was uh, the only thing that sucked, frankly, was the weather. I mean, Vegas gets like 20 days of rain a year. And the first three days of the Super Bowl week, it rained. Oh, no. Uh, Farhan and I are shooting our stuff in like a desert and it's pouring rain. So it's... um. And then after that, it was cold. I mean, it was honestly, but the warmest it ever got was about 12 degrees the entire week. I mean, it oh. was, it was, uh, it was unreal, you know? So, um, but, um, but, you know, overall, I would say it was, I, I, I got to say it was a, it was, I, I would put, I think it's a great city for a Super Bowl, you know? And, but I say, if you're going, it, it's a, it was an expensive week. Like it was something else with costs. Um mm-hmm. And, um, I, uh, I was, I, you know, there was, I think I ordered a drink one night in a restaurant that was $42 us. Oh my God. Yeah. So not many bargains at the super one, you know, Davis Sanchez, I didn't see this, but he told me he saw like hoodies that were like 300 bucks, you know, and stuff like that. And so the super bowl stuff, there wasn't actually a lot of super bowl merchandise and stuff, but it was, it was, um, I say, I don't know how much of it was Vegas and how much of it was super bowl Vegas, but it certainly fit. It's a city that works for Super Bowl. And then you came back from the craziness of Super Bowl to the craziness of CFL free agency, which is why we're here tonight. Um, a lot of people don't understand what the whole communication window might be. So from your side, how would you best explain something like that? Well, I think what the league was understanding is that when you start free agency on whatever it is, you know, whatever every year it's a little different, but roughly February 15th at noon. Mm-hmm. What are the chances nobody's talking to anyone before February 15th at noon? Not very good. And like you've seen other leagues that have done this. I think hockey's done this. The NBA's done this. 
And I mean, it's as simple as you think about this. If a GM is talking to an agent on the phone and about his player, and that agent also represents a player on another team who's coming up for free agency, you think that GM's not going to say, hey, what's so-and-so doing? Mm -hmm. Right? Oh, he's going to go to free agency. Oh, what's he looking for? He's looking for, you know, 150th season. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, we probably go. Like, you know what I mean? It just, it's, I think it's just naive to think that there are no business conversations going before the opening of the market. So what the CFL decided to do was said, you know what? Let's, let's legislate that. Let's sanction that and say, (laughs) yeah, we're going to have a period for a week where you can talk. And the good thing about the window is this, when you didn't have a window, now, I, I've, I've talked to agents and they who think it's better for the teams than the players. And maybe it is because the teams get to, you know, kind of they don't they, they don't get pushed into as many spontaneous decisions, I think. Right. Because right. there's not this. But but the other thing is, like, let's say you had a player like um, I'm trying to think of somebody who, who resigned Dalton Schoen. OK. If, if Dalton Schoen, if you don't have the window and Dalton Schoen goes into the market and a team puts it in front of him and says, you know, here's. 230 whatever take it or leave it we're we're you know we right now if you'll sign right now we'll give you 230 well if he signs and the bombers then he's gone before the bombers even know he's gone mm-hmm. you see what i mean like yeah. you don't even have a chance. like and and i think what this does is allows teams to shop and to consider what they're where to best spend their money and also to know that just because one of their players is talking to another team doesn't mean that they're going to get a call all of a sudden he's gone you know mm-hmm. Uh, now it can still happen um, that teams would that players could make that kind of commitment and and there is a process where the deal is re- you know offers a register with the league and all that but by and large I think it's it's really about legislating and and sort of um, recognizing what was happening already and saying well you know let, let's let's be real here let's let's be practical and know that teams are going to talk to players before the market opens and they probably should. I mean, if players want to make the right decision, teams want to make the right decision. So giving them the time to make those things, I think are, I think it's in everybody's interest. Although, as I say, if you talk to agents, they would tell you it's been better for the teams than the players. During the communication window, what were the discussions with someone like Matthew Betts, who, congratulations to him, he's now going to Detroit. What went into that decision, do you think, for him to ultimately say, I mean, above the money, of course, but... Well, what happened with him and ultimately deciding, you know, Detroit's a better bet? Well, I think ultimately, you in the if you look at CFL free agency, it's a limited market of money, right? So mm-hmm. it's unusual. We had two players this year that were on the market a lot longer than we usually see anybody on the market of their stature. One was Matthew Betts and the other was Tim White. And I think Tim White kind of proved the rule that you're better to sign early than late. Because once the money's gone, it's gone, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's teams can't make up new money. Um, and I think that's part of maybe of why he um, why he uh, why why he didn't get the contract that he was seeking with Hamilton or anybody else. Uh, in the case of Matthew Betts, I mean, we knew the two teams that were in on him seemed to be the hardest seemed to be BC and Hamilton. And so he was, I think, working one against the other, which is what you do when you're trying to drive up the price or, mm-hmm. or listing both sides. I don't know intimately whether he was trying to drive up one or the other, but I, he was listing to both sides. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And the Lions thing was kind of surprising because 
Matthew Betts is 29, I believe. Yes. Um, he didn't get any guaranteed money. I mean, I would tell you the po- the probability, and this is no disrespect to Matthew Betts, but the probability of a 29-year-old defensive player getting no money up front, sticking in the NFL, is low, mm-hmm. based on the history. Um, and that is, that's, you know, that's, but but again, for a guy like that, he knows there's going to be a big contract waiting for him when he comes back to the CFL, particularly because he's Canadian. Like if you're mm-hmm. a Canadian, you want to take a shot at the NFL, you know, there's going to be teams lining up for you. So, but you're going to have to take a prorated deal. So he definitely risked money, right? If he had 270 on the table and he's going to, and if he's coming back to the CFL, he's going to miss the first 10 weeks of the season. He's basically paying $140,000 to try out in the NFL, mm-hmm. but What's it worth if he makes it? I mean, I just saw Alex Singleton in the Super Bowl. Um, he got no money up front as a defensive player from the Philadelphia Eagles. And I think he has a three-year deal with $18 million. Yeah. So, you know, like you roll your chance and see. Now, again, just a little surprising to see Betts do it at that age because the one thing that NFL teams seem to be after more than anything when they sign CFL players is players that they can develop, teams that the players they can put some time into. And that's why you see – younger players who are maybe not near as accomplished as some of the older players that don't get NFL opportunities. So a uh, little surprised to see that happen, but uh, you know, again, I, I think it's also for him. He knows if he's going to take a shot, this is it. And he does have a skill set that the national football league cherishes very, very much. And that is the ability to get to the quarterback. And he's also going to be uh, battling with someone like Aiden Hutchinson for that position. So is there even a likelihood that he could get a starting role in Detroit? I, look, I don't think he's going to be a starter in Detroit. No. You know, I think he would be a rotational pass, pass, third down pass situation player that would be, you know, put into the game when they're going to, when they're going with extra pass rushers. You know, I don't think you'd see him as an every down player. I don't think you're going to see him as a starter. Um, but, you know, defensive line is a position that gets a lot of rotation in the NFL. So, you know, he could still see a lot of snaps, certainly. Right. Uh, you mentioned, you know, Dalton Schoen. Winnipeg kind of went after Brady Oliveira and Dalton Schoen, but then they ended up leaving a guy like Rashid Bailey on the table. What were the thoughts, I guess, in going after the big re-signings rather than going after the free agent market? Well, I think the, I'm going to go back to age again. I think if you look at Winnipeg, where they spent, what's the big thing everybody says and hears about the Winnipeg Blue Bombers? They're getting old, right? Yes. Okay, so why would a team that's in the midst of kind of a great run that is getting older let two guys 26 and 27 walk out the door, right? Like, that's that's basically, I think, why the Bombers really felt they had to get those guys back. Not just that they're good players. They're good players whose best years might be in front of them. I don't think Rasheed Bailey's best years are in front of him. I don't think Jamarcus Hardrick's best years are in front of him. But I think Dalton Schoen and Brady, Brady Oliveira could legitimately have their best year still in front of them. And for a team that's getting older, I mean, remember, like, these guys weren't even – I mean, Sean wasn't even with the team. Oliveira was, you know, a backup when all this began. Mm-hmm. So these are guys that have kind of risen to their roles during the Great Cup dynasty, if we can call that. They certainly get to the Great Cup every year. They don't always win it. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think a lot of times teams in free agency are prioritizing guys – that they think are still um, 
kind of ascending athlete as assets, if you will, rather than players that are, you know, who's, who's, who are, I don't want to say they're over the hill, but they are past their best. You know, they may be able to still play some very, very good football, but you're, you're talking about diminishing returns probably year after year after year with those two guys. They're not. And I think that's, yeah, and they're also, you know, from a just a marketing standpoint, those are two extremely popular players. I mean, you just look at that, how many Brady Oliveira, Dalton Schoen jerseys there are in the crowd there. And that's not why you do it, but that's just one more reason, I think. Um, when you, you look at when you've got good players that have only played for your team, they're young, they're popular, you do whatever you can to make it work. And I think ultimately both those players, you know, they both went to market, but I think in the end they understand don't bleep with happy. You know, like yeah. you, you, you've got a good thing. I mean, what could have gone better for Dalton Schoen in the first two years in his career other than winning the Grey Cup, right? I mean, he's done everything. Yeah. And you, you look around the league, not every organization is like that. The other thing is playoff money. In the CFL, playoff money relative to your salaries is much greater than it is in other professional sports as a percentage. Mm -hmm. So if you look at what guys make for winning a Grey Cup, I mean, some players in the league can be making 30, 40% more money than they made during the season based on the, on their great cup wins. So, you know, that's a big difference between playing with a team like the bombers that goes to the great cup every year and playing with a team that misses the playoffs. So I think there were economic reasons. I think there were, I think those guys also understand that, you know, and this is, it's interesting. I was on doing a podcast the other day with, with David Sanchez and Milt Stiegel, and they're really interested in this because Milt, consciously played for one team his whole career yes and davis said he wished he had you know there's one of his regrets is that he went from this team to that team when there was money and that and he looks back and says you know in the end the money really wasn't that much in the great scheme of things and the value you get by playing for one team your entire career i mean milt Stiegel still gets flown into winnipeg a couple of times a year to be honored <laughs> right He's yeah got, got a milt Stiegel drive i mean his entire life he will be able to go back to Winnipeg and beat Mel Stiegel. And, you know, I think that only comes really when you play all of your career with one franchise or the vast majority of your career with one franchise. And there was, there was NFL interest in Oliveira and Schoen, was there not? I do not believe so. I mean, they had workouts, oh, okay. but they weren't offered opportunities. And, you know, I mean, the thing, the thing about a guy like Brady Oliveira, who, and, and maybe even Dalton Schoen, but I would say in Oliveira's case, maybe a little more, I have absolutely, I would have very little doubt that he can play in that league. Mm -hmm. um, but is he markedly better than a guy who's coming out of college, who's 22, hasn't taken as many hits and carries? And again, it's a little bit of a mystery because the game is different, timing, spacing, those kind of things. It's I, Look, in 30-some in years of doing this, I'll tell you this. The hardest position to take from CFL success to the NFL is running back. Because yes. if I had to say, name the guys who've done it, I mean, Gil Fennerty, but I'm talking about a guy who was, who, who was replaced by pinball Clemens, right? We're going back to the eighties there. Yeah. Yeah. You know? uh, John Avery, but he was already a first round pick in the NFL before he came to Canada. So it wasn't like they discovered him in Canada. Um, Kenton Keith, you know, um, oh, uh, the running back with uh, Corey Sheets with Saskatchewan. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's Cedric Minter. Again, I'm going back to the 80s. Like, it's it's rare. 
Yes. And it's just there's so many athletes at that position. Every NFL team's got, you know, three, four guys on the roster. They got one or two on the practice roster. There's just so many good athletes at that position that to, you know, to and, and again, what, what do NFL teams not really want to pay for these days? Running backs, right? So um, you could look at it and say that in a way the position has kind of been dumbed down and that should make for better opportunities. But I'm, I'm not surprised that Brady Oliveira didn't get an opportunity, even though I think he could play down there. And Shones, Shones a little different because you know, he's not a huge guy. He really benefits and uses the waggle effectively in the CFL. He kind of mastered it very, very quickly, and that's been part of his success. But without the waggle in the NFL, you know, it'd be, it would be a more challenging environment for him. We also saw, well, last year we saw how Hamilton would just, you know, spent a ton of money and they were trying to buy up everything and it just didn't work out this year. We're almost seeing that with Ottawa, right? Um, Dominique Rimes got released from BC literally that night. He signed in Ottawa. They trade for Drew Brown, which makes one heck of a controversy at the quarterback position in Ottawa, but then they bring in, you know, pick six, Darius Pickett. And that kind of bolsters up the defense in Ottawa. Is the Ottawa situation different than what Hamilton tried to do last year? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm speaking just to Ottawa, you know, addressing that in, in on its own. I, I would say when you look at players that free when you sign free agents, like what what hole are they filling? What need did that team have? Right. And I would say they definitely have a need at quarterback. Right. And I think Drew Brown's going to get every opportunity to be the number one. there. I don't think there's gonna be a lot of controversy. And um, now if he's struggling, you know, and Jeremiah Mazzoli is healthy, they could go that direction. But I, I think they've set it up that he's going to be their franchise quarterback. I mean, just look at the contract, right? Mm-hmm. Jeremiah's contract this year is $130,000. Drew Brown's is, you know, three and something, right? Anytime you want to know who the starter is going to be, look at the contract. That'll tell you. Right. So he's going to be the starter, at least coming out of the gate. Um, I think they missed a, a big play receiver last year. I mean, it, they they didn't have somebody who could really take the top off of defense. Now, Dominique Grimes is not a burner, but he's a big body, and he's tough to match up, and he can get down back down the field, catch those deep throws by positioning his body. It was a logical thing as well. He lives in – and he's from Florida, but he lives in Ottawa in the offseason. Yep. So when he got released in BC, I said to myself, well, this shouldn't take long. And, <laughs> and about <laughs> – and about, three hours later he was uh he was in ottawa uh so again filled a need for them a very definite need um you know darius pickett you know like their secondary their their defense struggled giving up passing yards last year and yes. darius pickett is a, is a covered linebacker right and I, I, the game the name of the guy who played that position with them last year escapes me because he signed in chicago in, in the nfl so they had a need there mm-hmm. and they needed to improve overall their pass defense and he will help them do that you can throw yeah. in even a Darius, Darius Vladek, right? Who they, yeah. you know, they, they signed, added an offensive lineman. They released Jacob Ruby, Ruby right before they did that. And then they signed Ruby back 10 days later. So to me, it's not so much about the number of guys you spend, you sign. Um, it's about, did you get guys who address what you need? And again, all those players are still very early in their careers. Where you lose at free agency sometimes when you overpay for older players. Darius Pickett's been in the league, what, three, four years? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Darius Black, again, offensive linemen have a little more longevity to them. Again, Dominique Grimes, these are not guys who are at the end of their run. Um, so I would say, and Drew Brown, of course, has never been a starter. So 
these are all pieces they can build around. And uh, I, I liked what Ottawa did in free agency. Yeah, I mean, it was yeah, – and the other thing I think you've got to be on – always understand that when you have teams that win 16 games or go to the Grey Cup for the fourth year in a row, no, those teams are not going to be able to buying players off the market because no. they were really good. They're not trying to change stuff up. They're trying to keep stuff the same, right? And in Ottawa's case, they're the opposite. They won four games last year. They won four games the year before. They know they've got to change stuff up. And, you know, I think I think they had a pretty pretty strong idea of what they wanted to do at quarterback. They were not – there was not a lot of waffling. You know, they, they knew who they wanted. Uh, they went after him and they got him. And we're now going to see what Drew Brown can do with his own opportunity as a starter. Do you think they are still lacking in that protection area? Because, I mean, last year – there was a lot of quarterback sacks and there was a lot of, of, you know, hurry up with the quarterbacks in Ottawa. And that comes from the offensive line. Is that something that they've shored up coming into this year? It comes from the offensive line. Yes. But people in analytics will tell you that sacks are more of a quarterback stat than an offensive line stat. (laughs) And I'm not, I'm not an expert on this. Right. But I just know (laughs) that, that there is, there is a school of thought in the emerging and rapidly growing analytics community around football that, that it's more representative of quarterbacks than it is of offensive lines. Um, so I would th- say that a large amount of the sacks that Ottawa took came from having a rookie quarterback, right? Yeah. Because, you know, you just don't have the experience that you're not going to know uh, time and space and where guys are and how to read that you know, the safety coming on the, all, I could go on and on. All the mm-hmm. things that become familiar to you the longer you play are not familiar with you as a rookie. Right. So, you know, I think they did have some issues on the offensive line, but I think in, in adding Bladdock, um and of course they've already got, um, uh, I'm going to have a name escape here. Uh, Desjardins. Yeah. You know, and Do- uh, Dante Bull was also the first round pick rookie last year. And- you know, issues they got Pelahos, who's again a younger guy. Like they, they've definitely got some guys that are still need to improve, but I, I don't think they're in a massive deficit offensive line. No. And you know, another team that you know had to make some changes, and I'm a huge Matthew Schultz fan. Anyone that I talk to, I'm always singing the praises of Matthew Schultz. He signed with the Stampeders. Is there a world where Jake Mayer is not a Stampeder at by either by training camp or by opening day? I don't believe so. Um, I think the issue that teams would have with Matthew Schultz being their starter and the guy that they would want to count on for the season is, you know, he's got a history of getting hurt. Mm. And and I like I, I really respect the way he plays because he will stand in there and throw the ball and take hellacious hits to complete deep balls downfield the problem when you take hellacious hits is sometimes <laughs> don't get up from them and and i you know i i i say this about him when he was in montreal i i said this about him in hamilton i said you know when matthew schultz when he took over for Bo, you know i remember saying to our guys okay see how long he can stay healthy and that that is so you know i think i think he's you know, we're at a point right now where there's not a great depth of backup quarterbacks in this league right now. And that's why Schultz has value. But in order for him to be seen as a starting quarterback, I think he would have to have a better 
track record is staying healthy. Cause I just don't, I couldn't see a team saying, yeah, we're going to cut Jake Mayer. We're going to go with Matthew Schiltz. Um, he, he just, he's been a great guy off the bench. I think he's from everything I know, he's a good team guy and we've seen the way he's evolved as a player, as I say, and I respect the way he stands in the pocket. Like he is, he is not afraid. Uh, but that, but he, again, he's teams, I think understand that, one of the key values for starting quarterback has to be an ability to stay healthy. Cause if you look at Ottawa, what's killed them the last several years, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of their quarterbacks have been crappy. They have, you know, kind of overall compared to the rest of the league, but more than anything, they got hurt, yep. you know, <laughs> like Matt Nichols and Dom Davis went out in the same game in 2021 in 2022, Jeremiah Mazzoli goes out in week number five last year. He comes back, I think in week four and yeah. You know, last a quarter. So, you know, you can you can get the right guy, but if he can't stay healthy, so that that would be, I think, part of why you won't see that happen. I I do know that Calgary wanted a more competitive situation at quarterback and certainly wanted more depth behind him, and they went out and got it. Um, but I I think Jake Mayer is still going to be a starting quarterback of that team. And see what some deal as well, which you know doesn't hurt either. Yeah, with Schiltz, though, the, what I like about him is he's got the speed, he's got the legs, he's got the arm power, and like you said, he's not scared. I, as you know, Jake Mayer was the only quarterback last year to play every game and not get hurt, but at the same time, yeah. he did not look good last year at all in, in regards to what they thought they were getting from, you know, trading away Bo when when they were when they benched Bo the year prior, Jake came in and he looked fantastic. He did not look fantastic last year. No, I'm different receiving core though, right? Think of what mm-hmm. happened to them. You know, the injuries. And they, they were injured on Americans and thin and experienced at Canadians. So I think that, you know, sometimes has something to do with that as well. Right. They also re-signed Mike Awe, which was great. Cam Judge is coming back. But then they brought Demario Houston in from Winnipeg as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that was one of the things that Dave Dickinson had talked about, that they, they wanted sort of playmakers, right? And Demario Houston is a playmaker. He's an interception guy, right? He's a ball hawk. So... You know, I think having having some experience in their secondary like that, you know, they had a lot of experience in their secondary and some of it just, you know, kind of graduated, retired, uh, mm-hmm. moved on a little bit in the last few years. So I think having having somebody like Houston, who's a proven ball hawk, who has that experience is is something they were looking to add to that secondary. I've always found that, you know, Moxie is is really good, but he almost comes across as more of like a selfish player that doesn't think about the big picture, whereas Houston really does. Well, I mean, he kind of rose up in that in that in the Winnipeg defense, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, they and in, in Winnipeg they kind of got the best of all worlds going, right? They they hurry the quarterback on the front end, on the back end they got guys that can sit back there and pick it off. And mm-hmm. and yeah, you know, I do believe that when players rise to prominence with a really good team, it improves their cachet, right? There's no question that because he was playing in Winnipeg and they win a whole lot of games and he makes a whole lot of plays that that becomes more attractive to other teams. What happened to the Jamal Morrow deal? I don't, I honestly don't know. I believe it was a medical issue because mm-hmm. a lot of times when guys, and I, I'm, I'm completely speaking out of turn here because um, I didn't follow that story through, but there are circumstances where you sign a guy and he's got to pass a medical, right? Until mm-hmm. the deal is done. Like, there, um, you know, uh, Dylan Wynn had to go to, remember when Dylan Wynn got spotted in the airport in Montreal? Mm-hmm. Why? Well, well, I knew they were going to sign him. Yeah. In fact, I knew they had signed him, um, but I didn't report it because he had a medical the next morning and 
you know, frankly, I, the, the team asked me, said, can you wait till after his medical? They didn't want the report out. And then he flunks the medical and, uh, you know, whatever. So I, I said, yeah. And then when he, someone spotted him in the airport in Montreal, I said, screw it. I'm reporting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's, but it's not uncommon if a player's coming off an injury. I mean, teams don't want to, two teams, two reasons team don't want to sign a guy with damaged goods. One is you, know, you want to be able to play for him this year. And the other is you don't want him showing up to training camp and get hurt right away, you know, re-aggravating something. And then you're paying them all year for not playing. So, you know, it's, it's one thing to get hurt once you're there, but you want to make sure that what you're buying uh, is not damaged goods. Right. And, you know, you had mentioned earlier about, you know, the one thing that teams don't want to pay for and that's running back. Well, the lions really shored up their run game. Cause let's face it last year the one thing that a lot of teams weren't scared of was the bc lions run game but william standback who felt disrespected in montreal is now a member of the bc lions yeah and and didn't get the kind of contract he expected you know and and frankly i i thought he would would i mean william standback's 29 you know um and he's not a guy who's had a ton of injuries you know has been beat up and missed three games here and two games here and all that kind of stuff he had one very dramatic injury in the opening week of 2022 and came back at the end of that season. Yep. And if you saw what he did when he scored that touchdown in the great cup, right again, when, when he hits the second level, he, again, not a, because of his size, he's not a complete burner, but when you get to that second level in the CFL and you're facing some smaller linebackers and defensive backs, I mean, William Stanbeck's a low, right? He's definitely somebody that coaches respect. And uh, I know, I, I think the lions has got a bargain. And yeah. again, I think just the reality of, experience a joke was made one time that experience running back is the only position in sports where experience is not an asset <laughs> because they're yeah. looking at your saying whoa this guy's had a lot of carries played a lot of years William Stanbeck's only 29 so you know I, and I think I think Vernon Adams was very instrumental in that getting done and that tells you something about you know what what his, his experience with him was in Montreal and how much he values him both as a running back and a pass protector I talked to coach Campbell recently about this and, you know, he's a big fan of Mizell, which is good. I was at the game when Stanback had that really bad injury in week one, the 2021, he won the rushing title 2022. He had that horrible injury. I mean, like you said, he's 29, he's a solid back. And out of the three running backs in Montreal last year, he was the workhorse. So bringing him in, I feel really helps also develop Mizell. Yeah, it certainly could. Absolutely. You know, and again, we'll see if we get them both on the field at the same time or not with two import backs or whether they're going to go kind of one in one A, but, but, uh, or one, one, in, rather one in one A go one and two. But, mm. um, no, I, I think there's, you can always learn from a back like William Stanbeck, you know, who's, who's written really a, a workhorse and a, uh, you know, I think for a good part of the last several years, him and Kadeem Carey were considered, you know, the two best backs in the league, but he's mm-hmm. 29 and Carey's 31 and, you know, the paths, the torch is kind of being passed to the, the highest paid backs in the league to other guys. Yeah. And then they also, I think the other really big move that BC made that was smart was Jake Dolagala. Yeah. Again, I'm talking about inexperienced quarterbacks. Yeah. I mean, I think some people, and, and I was too kind of, I mean, I talked to Jeremy O'Day at the league meetings in Nashville and he was pretty clear then that, you know, they weren't, they didn't expect to bring both those guys back. But I think some people were surprised that they opted to keep Mason fine because Dalla had taken over from Mason fine. Yeah. Uh, you know, during the season. Now there may have been a different price point there. I'm not familiar with what the lions paid Dalla versus what, um, what fine got in, in Saskatchewan, but 
it, it just seemed a little odd that the guy who took the job from the other guy was not the guy that they retained. Um, and BC, again, I think the two teams we knew going right in, well, there were three teams this year that I would say had really, really strong needs at backup quarterback. Uh, and they were Winnipeg, Calgary, and BC. Mm-hmm. And they all went out and addressed it in different versus Winnipeg going out and getting, bringing Strebler back. That was a big move. I was happy to see that. And also with yep. Dol- the other thing with Dola Gala that's really fun to, is watching Britt Dort try to interview him. <laughs> what, six, seven, something like that? <laughs> yeah. yeah he's, he's a Western New York kid. He grew up, uh, he grew up in Buffalo area. Um, yeah. Yeah. Staying with running backs, of course, I think the biggest surprise for me was AJ Ouellette to Saskatchewan. That's I think that was the biggest surprise of all of free agency for me. Yeah, and I know they talked to William Stanbeck. Um, you know, during that process, I remember Stanbeck hit the market early because he got mm-hmm. his release before the opening even of, of the window. Uh, and I thought Toronto really wanted to keep Ouellette. You know, not just again, you can debate how much this should matter, but not just because he's a good player, but he he's a he's a fan favorite, right? He he developed an identity here yeah. on a team that you know have, or historically has not had that many players recent history that have been you know sort of recognized and known and beloved by fans they would buy their jersey and they you know in in, in AJ Willett they did and you know he certainly was like seemed to be kind of a heart and soul guy for the Argos so I was a little surprised by that one as well I I, I don't think they wanted to let him go but I think if you look at excuse me what the Argos did in free agency you know, I think they kind of had their their number of what they thought a position was going to be worth, mm-hmm. and if a guy exceeded that number, they weren't going to chase him. I mean, they just decided that, you know, about one hundred fifty thousand dollars was what they were willing to pay a free agent running back maximum, and uh, you know, AJ Willett got more than that in Regina. You know, there's a lot of memes going around the internet right now where it's like it's showing Chad Kelly walking into a training camp and it's empty. Because, you know, everyone that he's familiar with is gone. Is that really the case that a lot of people are leaving Toronto? And are the Argos going to be as dominant this year as they were last year and the year prior? Well, that's what happens when you go 16 and 2. You have a lot of guys <laughs> that make all-star teams. You have a lot of time guys that make tons of plays. And you got a lot of guys who want to get paid. Mm-hmm. And you got to pick and choose. And that's, you know, they, I'm sure they would have loved to have a Darius Pickett back. I'm sure they would have loved to have Jamal Peters back. You know, I think they basically had to decide, you know, okay, what is your priority? Demonte Coxie is your priority. Um, you know, Wynton McManus, he's your priority. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those Devaris Daniels, I believe Devaris Daniels was re-signed this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you've got, and, and you just you just know, now the, the good side here, the Argos, is you got a whole bunch of teams that just spent a lot more money on your guys than you used to pay them last year. Right. So, you know, in a, in a league of limited resources, there's always that side of it. But I, I don't think we were surprised to see what happened in Toronto. It was just, you know, again, in short careers, guys want to cash in. And, you know, it's you know, Winnipeg has had maybe a little more success at convincing guys to stay for you know, leave some money on the table, maybe. Um, and and in Toronto, I, I can't say that they did that in a lot of cases, uh, but um but it was, you know, I, I think I think we all knew that there was an exodus to Toronto coming. And it wasn't guys trying to get out of Toronto. It was guys going other places to get paid. 
Mm -hmm. And also, I mean, Corey Mace is now the head coach of Saskatchewan, which is amazing. So it's great to see AJ Olette going to Saskatchewan because they really need, I mean, Jamal Moore was a good running back, but um, I also know Mark Mueller with his new offense out there. I think that Saskatchewan is going to be 200% different than what they were a year ago. Yeah. I think when you've got a new head coach um, and, and look, and again, a mandate for change, right? This is a mm -hmm. team that like hasn't won a game after Labor Day in two years. Um, you know, this is a team that has missed the playoffs in consecutive seasons. So when when those things happen, you're going to see lots of change. And and say, when, throw the head coach in, into the mix as well. And and I think, you know, some of the free agents they signed, including um, A.J. Ouellette, uh, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of it had to do with ties to Corey from, from Toronto. Even though he was the defensive coordinator, uh, in Toronto, I think having, I think, look at this, put it this way. You wouldn't have to work very hard to find players in the CFL that have a lot of loyalty and commitment to, to Corey, to Corey Mace. So I'm not among, you know, besides being a decent, a, a, you know, a, a good hire as a head coach, I think he's not a bad hire as a recruiter either. Right. Yeah. And same thing with Mark Mueller, of course, he's got his ties to, you know, the Lancaster, but he is also a very, very, very strong and great football mind on offense. Absolutely. I mean, he's still young. And and last year, Dickinson did take some of the play calling back from him at, at one part in the season. So, you know, I, I think, you know, he's, he's certainly a guy who's grown up around the game, played the game at a high level in, in university football. And, and I think we're talking about when guys come up in certain teams, they, it, it adds to their value. I would say if you've, kind of grown up on the offensive side of the ball under Dave Dickinson in Calgary, that would kind of fall into that category as well. Oh, of course. Yeah. He was the running back coach. He was the quarterback coach and yeah, no, he has come right up through there. And then, you know, the replacement for AJ Ouellette now back to Toronto is Kadeem Carey. Um, he's a little bit older. I mean, still a very strong running back, a lot of injuries last year. He's had, you know, over the last couple of years, he's had some injuries going on. Is do you think he was the right replacement for AJ Ouellette, or do you think by that point maybe the market was starting to get a little bit emptier? Well, I think yeah. I mean, there, there was it's in the CFL with nine teams, you can kind of figure it out sometimes. It's a bit of a game of musical chairs where there's only one chair left, and and you know where he's going to land. And that was the case with Kerry. I think he he had talked to BC, and then when mm -hmm. Stanbeck went there, that that kind of obviously ended that. Look. It, Kadeem Carey for the Argos is a, is a no-risk investment, right? They can bring him into camp. Um, I don't think they have anything great invested in him in terms of if he doesn't, if it doesn't work out. And I think they're going to bring, you know, they've got a back um, uh, from, uh, from their team last year, Deontay McMahon, who are they? Mm -hmm. I believe, again, I've always got his name right correctly. We do these interviews in February sometimes. <laughs> I, got a, I got a full name last October. Um and they, they also, they picked up the, the rights to a running back uh, on Edmonton's negotiation list in the Jake Ceresna trade. Mm -hmm. So, like, you got to remember also, like, where did A.J. Willette come from, right? He's just a guy in training camp. And all of a sudden, he wins a battle and makes, win, makes a few plays in the game. And all of a sudden, he's, you know, a household name in the CFL. So, I, I think, I would put it this way, I would be surprised if there isn't competition for that job with Kadeem Carey. So, you could see him you know, win the job. You could see him as a backup. You could see him sharing the role. I think there's kind of, and again, as a, 
31-year-old guy who's had some injury trouble the last few years, they probably want to have a bit of a running back by committee, right? Rather than saying, hey, we think Kadeem Carey's going to you know, you know, carry the ball for us 350 times this year and play all 18 games. Probably not. Right. And Toronto has done the committee thing because, I mean, Ouellette and Andrew Harris, have, it, it worked just fine between the two of them. And then Leakey was also in there. He was more of a returner, but he did play some snaps at running back as well. Yeah, it's easier to do that when you got the the, the American Canadian thing going, mm-hmm. right? Like that's that's why you could do Harris, um, you know, you could do Harris and Willette. Um, it's harder when you got to get two American backs on the field because you know teams don't necessarily want to spend their imports at the same position like that because it's you know you, you do see teams that do it. I've seen teams mm-hmm. address three American backs, but it's you know it, it's it's a little easier to kind of go by the. When, you, when you've got both, although say Calgary did it last year, in the past years, we've seen it with Kerry, um, you know, and they, they, he was not, again, same sort of thing because of his injuries and his age last year. Maybe they built a bit of a, a running back by committee around him last year as well. So uh, I think that's something that it, it really is very, it's one of those things that's very specific to each situation. You know, what's your personnel? What's the age of your guys? What's the likelihood that they're going to be able to play healthy? Who's Canadian? Who's American? And you kind of assemble your backfield that way. Mm-hmm. The, the big, big thing when you go with a Canadian back is, you know, you want to make sure that you got a, a decent backup because if your Canadian running back gets hurt in the game, you're going to have some ratio issues. You want to be able to plug just another Canadian in there to at least get through the game. And if you need to go import at that position later, then you can make some adjustments. Yeah, even last year, Calgary, I think all three of them were American, right? With Kadeem Carey, Dietrich yeah. Mills, and Peyton Logan. Of course, yeah. Logan and Carey both got hurt, so it was mostly Dietrich Mills. But then they yeah. brought in Levante Bellamy, who was also a former Raider, and he was in and out as well. Yeah, and some of them played special teams as well. That's the other thing, right? Like Leak, you say Leak was a running back, but for the Argos, he was primarily a returner. So, But he, he definitely can be a running back as well. So who do you think made kind of the biggest splash? I mean, we haven't really talked about Edmonton at all yet, but who do you think made the biggest splash, whether it's the argument of Winnipeg because they re-signed a lot of their top guys or a team that went shopping? You know, when, when we did this on SportsCenter, I better say the same thing, right? Um, <laughs> SportsCenter about a week ago, and I said Ottawa and Winnipeg and, and kind of, for the reasons that I talked about Ottawa earlier that I said, I thought they very well targeted, very nicely targeted players that address their needs. Uh, In Winnipeg's case, I I just think you got to give them kudos for getting those two guys on matching contracts at $230,000, you know, guys who were, were, you know, absolutely fundamental players to that offense guys who still have their best years ahead of them. And I think guys have, frankly, a lot of us thought we weren't going to be able to keep, but I, I would have told you 48 hours before the start of free agency, 24 hours, there's no way they'll keep both, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and ultimately they did. So yeah. I, I think when you look at that along with some of the, and then adding Strebler, I know that was kind of just before free agency, but I'm throwing that into the mix. Again, it still counts. Not, yeah. I mean, it's, and some of the other guys that they had re-signed before, I, I just think overall, I thought Winnipeg did a really nice job in a, in a difficult circumstance. So Winnipeg and Ottawa were my two teams that I, I thought were, you know, kind of the most impactful in the, in the, in the free agency. And now the opposite, who do you think really didn't do anything or didn't do enough? Well, I, I mean, I'd say Toronto because, you know, they obviously they're, they're every dollar was spent trying to retain guys that they have, but, 
you know, that's for a lot of GMs, that's a challenge, you know, to them saying, okay, you know, Jim Pop said something to me a long time ago when he was GM in Montreal. He said, I should be able to replace anybody on our team who isn't a quarterback or a Canadian. You know, like that's, that's my job. That's my skill set. Find a guy. So, and I think that's probably the way John Murphy looks at the Argonaut situation, right? That when they are losing guys, he's got guys that he thinks that he's signed or is going to sign that, you know, maybe um, that, that that's, that's the challenge. That's how good GMs, a lot of good GMs, guys take pride in that, that they don't go out and sign a free agency. They don't see themselves as losers. They see themselves as winners because they don't need somebody else's players. So, you know, I think there was a little bit of that in Montreal this year. You know, they didn't make any gigantic splashes in other teams. It was more keeping the band together, Toronto. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't like the term losers in free agency because free agency isn't necessarily where you win the great cup. It's no. one area where you can. Every team, it's not like, it's not like we're all sitting there with the same five cards, right? They're all, they all got different hands. And in a case like Toronto, yeah, I, I would have been stunned if they went out and signed a bunch of free agents because it would have meant they had to release a bunch of good players first. <laughs> That's why I always like to say who didn't do enough. I never like to use the term right. loser either, right? Because, right. you know, look at Edmonton. Right? They didn't really do much of anything. They still haven't talked about Manny Arsenault yet. They brought in McLeod Bethel-Thompson, which now leaves Trey Ford in that whole limbo. But, you know, and they dealt Serezna. But what have they really done in the last couple of weeks? They really early getting so they added in a trade yes yes uh you know who, who can do a bunch of different things for them um you know those those were i'm, trying, I'm sure there's some guys i'm not well, thinking Gittin, of but but yeah Gittin's i agree. was in the Serezna deal yeah he was he was he was in the trade yeah mm-hmm. i mean i think they you i mean they did some things they've still got you know gino lewis right on that contract like mm-hmm. three hundred thousand dollars a season and so you know you got a quarterback who's making you know decent money and a $300,000 receiver. And, you know, you start to get into eating up a fair amount of money, right. Just, just right there. So yeah, I was, I was maybe a little surprised that Edmonton didn't do more, but again, I, I didn't study the roster as closely as, as I would need to, to be able to give you more commentary on that. hundred percent. And, you know, I know that coach Jones is going to take a lot more heat because of hit the rumor of him, you know, not liking Canadian quarterbacks now bringing in McLeod Bethel-Thompson to replace Trey Ford. It's, I don't know how training camp's going to look right now for Edmonton, but I feel like, you know, guys like, you know, Jeremy O'Day in Saskatchewan that we thought were on their last legs last year, you know, Coach Dickinson was let go, but he stayed. Edmonton, kind of the same thing. A lot of people wondered if Jones and, you know, G. Roy Simon as well might have been out the door. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that, that there was – there's there's some issues about pain you know, there's some termination language they would have to pay mm-hmm. out to, to mm-hmm. chris jones right so yep. i think that's an issue I think the uncertainty of the ownership of that franchise probably played to more stability like we're going to have a lot of change we think we're gonna have a new owner by next year um you know maybe we want some stability and that's part of why rick lala got brought in there and i think there's still a belief that they can win with chris jones you know i i don't think they've given up and now it's funny interesting you bring up the canadian quarterback thing on jones because this one i find interesting yeah I'll give you a line here. You ready? Mm-hmm. Chris Jones has played more Canadian quarterbacks in the CFL than any of the Canadian head coaches in the CFL. Okay. Who played Brandon Bridge? Chris Jones. Who played Trey Ford? Chris Jones. 
Name me another quarterback who started in his rookie year out of U Sports. I can't. <laughs> no, that's a good question. So Chris Jones played two Canadian in the last two spots he's been. He's played a Canadian quarterback in each of them. And one of them, he started as a U Sports rookie. And he's got a reputation that he doesn't like Canadian quarterbacks. I know. It's, How many it's, Canadian quarterbacks Michael Shea played? How many it, Canadian quarterbacks Michael Shea played? None. No. no. Right? And, I mean, I thought that not that your nationality should have anything to do with the nationality of your quarterbacks. No. But I know people think that while well, the Canadian guys are going to lean into the Canadian quarterback thing because they, they're going to be more open-minded about it and stuff. I don't know that it necessarily works that way. So I do not believe that Chris Jones <laughs> has a bias against Canadian quarterbacks because he's played more of them than most coaches in the league, maybe any coach in the league. Yeah, and, and look, I think the thing about Trey Ford is, look, you got to look at Trey Ford and say, he's a wonderful athlete and he may one day be an absolute ready, you know, ready to be a starting quarterback in the CFL. What, what he gives you right now is too much variance. Mm-hmm. And and I'll and to try to explain what I'm talking about, I can go out and play golf and get a par on hole number one, but I'm probably not going to par or burn two, three, four, and five if I get a par on number one. If you know what I mean, yeah. right? Yep. I can do stuff on the golf course, but the consistency with which I can do it is not there. Trey Ford's kind of like that. He made maybe the most amazing throw in the CFL last year. It was in Edmonton at Toronto in a meaningless game where he you know, ran to the left side of the field, threw across his body in the end zone, and everybody in the crowd went, what? And he played some really good games. Mm-hmm. But if you make him your starter right now and say, we're rolling with him for 18 games, you're probably going to get a lot of variance in his play. And that's just based on experience. Trey Ford didn't play that much football in university. Yeah. They lost a season because of COVID. You know, U-Sport plays, what, seven regular season games, something like that? Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you actually add up how much football he's played since high school, it's not that much. He's still a young man. I, you know, I, 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 it has nothing to do with him being Canadian, but I, I would be very excited about him in the future. But I think probably the best thing for his career right now is to back up. Yeah. And someone with McLeod Bethel Thompson's pedigree, I guess. And like what he has been able to do is better learning experience of what Trey Ford had last year. And speaking of the consistency, I was at a game late, I think it was early October, so late in the season, against Montreal, where Edmonton just came out and were just annihilating the Alouettes. But then the consistency fell off in the second half, and the Alouettes came back and won. That's, that's, that's what so much of football players, you know, you look at what they can do, what their upside is. Yep. You know, that's one way of evaluating. But then, then you've got to evaluate them based on, you know, what's, what's the level of variance you're going to get in that player's play. And younger, inexperienced players will give you higher levels of variance and they work that off during their careers and you know what finally because you know it's getting late and i don't want to keep you up all night because you and i could literally sit here all night and be talking football what uh what's coming up with the combine in winnipeg is there any big names or anything that you're kind of looking at to see what happens with the combine well i'm looking at with a couple of things i'm interested in uh, one is i'm looking i'm interested in the rule discussion mm-hmm. uh, as it pertains to kickoffs and you know where where that goes. I reported it at the uh, at the combine or the league meetings in Nashville that they're you know they are studying ways to reduce kickoffs by allowing teams you know to scrimmage uh, rather than accept a kickoff after a touchdown like they do with field goals right now. Um, 
again, I, I like that better than what the NFL's done with just kicking balls through the end of the end zone. At least at this point, you're giving the team a choice. So if you have a great returner, you can still take the return. Um, you're still going to have kickoffs to begin the game. Still going to have kickoffs uh, after half. Like the minimum kickoff you still have is two kickoffs a game that are going to, you know, they're going to be returned. So it's not like you're getting ready to return. But people are kind of freaking out about this going, oh my God, why are they trying to change the game? Folks, this isn't about improving the game. Yeah. This is about player safety. The yes. NFL, the NCAA did it. The XFL did it. Why did they do it? They did it because of player safety. It's like it's like thinking if somebody smoked a pack of cigarettes in Buffalo that you could smoke the same pack in Toronto and it's not going to be dangerous. Well, I mean, like, returns are returns, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't have a part of the game that's too dangerous in the United States but not too dangerous in Canada. It doesn't make sense. So the reaction to it was, oh, my God, they're changing the game again. Why can't you leave our game alone? That had nothing to do with that. No. <laughs> this is about player safety, right? One thing only. So I'm interested in that. Um, I'm interested. I, I'll, I'll tell you, there's a player at the combine I'm really interested in seeing. And uh, that is uh, a kid named Joe Joe, who is uh, a kid from a Sudanese background who's from Brooks, Alberta. He was a uh, he played two years at Clemson, one at South Florida and one at a junior college in Kansas. Uh, I believe he was the high jump champion of Alberta when he was 16 years old. Um, really interesting prospect who is uh, decided not to continue his college football career and, and is entering the CFL draft. And uh, I'll be very interested in seeing him. I think he's going to be one of the more unique players, uh, both from a background and physical asset perspective in, in Winnipeg at the combine and there's a couple of really decent looking players at UBC right now that have been getting a lot of even NFL attention so I think the combines can be really interesting this year yeah we'll see you'll see it, it's you know like it's one of the things we always see is do guys do everything right especially if guys are getting NFL attention are they going to do all the workouts and the leagues come up with some policies on that so the guys don't show up you know, use all the use the hotel rooms for four days and don't do anything. But yeah, uh, we'll see. We'll see how that turns out. But uh, yeah, it's always the combine. Besides the players, it's just always a good sort of thing to to find out what's percolated on everybody's mind. You know, heading into a season. So yeah, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward out there for that. Well, that's all we've got for you this week. You can find us on Instagram, X, and Threads at Around the CFL Podcast. And you can find our show anywhere you get your podcasts from, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, iHeart, or anywhere else for that matter. And if you're loving the show, please go and give us that five-star review. For TSN's Dave Naylor, I am Anthony, and we'll see you later.